Good morning, everyone. Everybody doing well? <laughs> okay. Well, I hope so. Yeah. Anyway. Hey, thanks. Um, you know the reason why we do that? We just we like to elicit woos and uh, excitement simply because we're nervous. We don't know what else to do. <laughs> That's really what it boils down to. I think I've used the bathroom three times before. Uh, anyway. Um, anyway, I. I, we are starting a new series, and I, I need to ask this question. Has anyone ever asked you a question like this? How do I look in this? Yeah, thank you. But has anyone ever asked you that question? And of course, you're honest, right? Always? Or the question... Um, Maybe something like, I, I just got done singing, how did that sound? And of course you're honest, right? I don't know how many times, how many weddings I've done, right at the beginning, one of the things I tell new couples in the wedding is this, is that I, over 30, some 31 years now of marriage, some of the things I've learned, here's one big thing I've learned, anyway, in those humble 30 years, is that you need to be honest in relationships. And like Ephesians says, it's like not only enough to not tell a lie, you also need to speak the truth. And speaking the truth is hard sometimes. I mean, have you ever, have you ever had a conversation with somebody and they say this? Because I say this all the time. I catch myself in this all the time. Well, to be honest, and then right after they say that, you know it's nothing good. Right? As soon as you hear that, to be honest. Well, if I'm honest with you, Right? Or if, uh, if someone asks, uh, do you want, this is what I ask my wife a lot, do you want me to be honest? <laughs> Have you heard that phrase? Have you used that phrase? Now what does that mean? Is it, what, what, what goes in my head is this, if you're using that phrase, then does that mean that every other time you spoke you weren't honest? <laughs> Only during these times when you say, I'm going to be honest, then you're honest. That's really not it, is it? The reason why we use those phrases is not because of that. The reason why we use those phrases is because this is a particular situation in which we were to actually say the last bit of truth. It might actually hurt some feelings, right? Well, we're going to talk about the truth about us. And the truth about us is actually the title of my uh, brother's book. My brother is an author, and he's got his uh, book out now called The Truth About Us. And I don't make... A dime a commission on this thing, so don't buy it. It, it doesn't matter to me. I don't. I could. I couldn't care less. So, uh, but it's on Amazon if you want it. Okay. So, uh, the truth about us. And here's, if you do happen to get it, uh, first of all, we're not going to be able to do. We're going to kind of loosely follow it the next three weeks, but uh, we can't do it justice. Uh, the whole book. So. If you get a chance, you do read it. Uh, I have the privilege of being able to write the discussion guide for the book. So the discussion guide of actually, uh, usually he has it, but he, he gave us permission to go ahead and let us use it just for us. So if you go to, I think it's uh, uh, church at newhopechurch.cc slash church at home, right? That's the address where you can find. So if you're watching from home, Go to church at home there, newhopechurch.cc slash church at home, or any of you who are live here want to do that uh, in Newton. Anyone who wants to do that, you can uh, just click and download that discussion guide. And you don't have to use it for a group or discussion if you don't want to. You can use it just for a personal, personal devotion or reading to go along with the book. Anyway, that's what's going on. I won't say another word about that. But we're going to uh, 
basically just kind of loosely go through some of this. And here's the, here's the thing. I need to be honest with you. Nothing good ever comes after that, right? But I, I heard a preacher a long time ago say this, and I think it's really good. There is some good news that you need to hear, and there are, there's some bad news when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to God. The good news is this. God is good. Amen? God is very good. Here's the bad news. God is good. That's the bad news. The good news is God is good. The bad news is, well, God is good. Now, how is that bad news? Well, the truth is, it's bad news for us because we're not good. God is good, but we're not good. Now, here's, here's the thing. Uh, the, the, kind of the, the root of what we're going to be approaching these next three weeks has to do with this truth, because it really is a truth. Truth that we don't really want to hear. Truth that we don't really have a hard time processing. Truth that we just can't believe sometimes, but this is the truth. God is good, and we are not. Now, here's what's interesting uh, to me is, uh, uh, I want to work from this definition, if you will, because we're going to be talking about what it means to be self-righteous the next three weeks, to be self-righteous. And Brant gives this definition in his book uh, of self-righteousness. The word righteous biblically means approved by God. It's something God judges as good or right. So to be self-righteous then simply means we've met that standard in our own eyes. Everybody got that? That's what we're going to be working through here this morning and through the next couple weeks after this. So first of all, God is good and we are not. Now, Darren, where do you get that? Because I, I've been told that since God is good, He made us good. You know, in creation, He rests and everything's good, and that included us. And so, you know, and we need to believe that we're good. Because everybody in our society tells us that we need to believe that we're good. Uh, so where do you get that? Well, here, let me fire several scriptures at you, one right after another. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. All of us have become like one who was unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Our righteous acts. That means the good that we do, not the evil that we do. Don't even count that yet. Just the good that we do is like filthy rags to God. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. How about this one? It's quoted in Romans, but we found in Psalm 14, 1 through 3. The fool says in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. I, I never get that word right. I always want to say abominable, and that doesn't make any sense. They do abominable like snowman. Deeds. There is none who does good. None. The Lord looks down from the heaven on, on the children of man to see if there is any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside, and together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Wow, this is hard to take. What about uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, when, when Jesus comes together with this guy we call the rich young man? 
you're a rich young ruler. Verse 17, as he was sitting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. Now, don't go by that scripture too fast. Think about it for a second. Jesus, the Son of God, just gave us a backhand without us realizing it. No one is good except God. Now, I know that's hard to hear, you know. It's, the, it's one of those truths that, can I be honest? It's one of those truths, you see what I'm saying? That's hard for us to hear because we're convinced that, that maybe that's not true at all, that we are good. But, but here's, here's I, I love what George Whitfield wrote, a preacher from a long time ago. He wrote this. Before you can speak peace to our hearts, your heart, sorry, you must not only repent of your sin, but also of your righteousness. There must be a deep conviction before you can be brought out of your self-righteousness. It is the last idol taken out of your heart. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty heavy. It's pretty heavy because it's true. You know, you ever wonder why Jesus spent so much time battling constantly with the righteous? With the people who thought they had it together. With the people who looked good. You know, they, they came to church every Sunday. They did all the right things. And they relied on those right things to set them apart from the world. But truth be told, Jesus had enough of that. I mean, if you were to look in the pages of the gospel and look at the words in red, you cannot help but see how much disdain God himself had for self-righteousness. Now, if that's not enough, let's look at this passage, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? As God writes. He writes that right after talking about a man who trusts after himself is like the shrub in the desert that just dies. But a man who trusts in God is like a tree that's planted by the water. And then he says this. Put that, if we can put that scripture back up one more time. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Th this is a point I want to make this morning. Is the heart is deceitful above all things. What does that mean? Here's the honest truth, right? God is telling us that we can't even trust ourselves. Now that seems amazing to me because I've been right about so many things. And I don't understand why people just can't get my message and why people can't be just like me. That's, what, that's a lot about what this book is about, the truth about us. Not that I get a dime from it, not that you'll have to, but it's on Amazon if you want to. <laughs> the heart is deceitful. Now, here's, 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 think about this for a second. We honestly, uh, the University of London uh, researchers actually did a study on how moral people think they are. 
And it's amazing, the high, high, high percentages of people who they talked to all thought they were above average when it came to morality. In other words, we all believe, innately almost, that we are probably better morally than the person next to us. That we, we all believe that. And 93% of us think that we're better than average drivers. Now, I know I am, <laughs> but I don't know about the rest of you. I really don't. And I think you need to, you need to look at this a little bit further. 93% of us. Now, how about this? High percentage think that we're smarter than average. A lot of us think that we're friendlier than other people. The majority of us think that we're more ambitious than the average person. And in case you get caught up in all your awesomeness, it's okay, because most of us think we're also more modest. <laughs> so you're okay. You're all right. That, that all of us kind of, it's amazing when you look at something. And you, what about, how about this? What about people, though, who have done some really bad things and are, have been caught? Maybe like prisoners. They did a study with prisoners. Guess what happened? Same thing. Prisoners thought, for the majority, I am more kind than other people and more generous than other people. And they're incarcerated. So it's just amazing to me. Uh, they find themselves more kind, more generous. And Brent kind of hits several things. It gives illustrations that I think are pretty good about how we get so caught up into our own goodness and how we cannot really trust ourselves. He talks about things such as, I'll just go through a few real quick. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. But he goes through one, one study where a, a psychologist actually was teaching, and he was teaching in the 80s back when the Challenger explosion happened. Remember that? Or do you remember that? And there's a reason I asked that, read that question, do you remember that? Because that day he told his class to write down on paper when that happened, where exactly, where they were, what they were doing when they heard the news, the Challenger explosion happened. They all wrote it down. 20 years later, they contacted every single student and asked them 20 years later what they were doing, where they were, when they heard the ch about the Challenger explosion, and only 7% of it was accurate. In fact, one person, they took out what they wrote the day after it happened, they showed it to him, and she said, that's not my handwriting, you're trying to fool me, because that's not what happened. The reason he did this study is because he had told people a story for so long that he remembers the Pearl Harbor, and he remembers it because he was listening to a baseball game that day when it happened. Then he realized it happened in December, there was no baseball. We can't even trust our own memories. What about this? Have you heard of uh, 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 the, uh, uh, sorry, the uh, IKEA effect? The IKEA effect is basically this. How many of you ever bought anything from IKEA? Anybody? How many of you have spent hours uh, basically cussing after buying something from IKEA because, <laughs> because you have that, you have all these things you got to put together and they give you one tool and it's an Allen wrench like that big. You know what I'm talking about? And you spend hours, just this one Allen wrench, just putting all those little, 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 uh, sorry, all these memories are coming back, if I remember it correctly. <laughs> and, but the thing is, one thing has been proven in those sorts of these tests 
it's amazing how many people will take stock. The reason Ikea is so popular in some ways is because if you put work into it, it means more to you than if you didn't. There are some people who will keep a piece of Ikea furniture because they spent 16 hours and a lot of cussing on it than, if they, than keeping some really good piece of furniture they just bought in the store for years. If you don't believe me, just try to have a garage sale with your spouse and try to, try to get rid of the stuff they, they just refuse to get rid of. They've had it for years and years. My wife has gotten rid of shirts of mine I'm still mad about. And she's like, it was ripped in three pieces. I don't care. I got that in basketball camp when I was in ninth grade. You can't wear it. That's not the point. Yeah, but what are you going to do with it? I washed my car or something with it, but at least I have a memory while I'm doing it, you know? If I remember it right. <laughs> it's, but that, what, now, how does that translate to us being so good or thinking that we're so good? The truth is, is that we feel the same way, not just about Ikea furniture. We feel the same way about our opinions, if they're ours. I'm always right, you see. It's, it's amazing. We can talk about these kinds of things, about what it means to have a heart that's deceitful. We could talk about how we justify so many things that we do. You know, some of us, you know, I don't know about you, but I think this is true with all of us in some degree, uh, some of us don't even know how to apologize very well. And the reason we don't is because we're so convinced that we're right about everything, it's hard to apologize. Have you ever heard this? I've heard people actually say something along the lines of something they did that was really wrong, all right? Let me throw something out there like, like uh, stealing something, uh, like adultery. And they say, I apologize because I made a mistake. You didn't make a mistake. You sinned. You, you chose it, you know? How many other apologies do we make, like, that are, circum, you know, almost circumstantial? <laughs> like, well, I'm sorry. I, I use, and I'll be honest, I'm guilty of this. I'm sorry you took it that way. I was right. I wish you would have gotten it straight. But I'm sorry you didn't get it straight. It must be your fault. See what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's amazing in our own words how we can, we can even skirt actually humbling ourselves. We can skirt actually even apologies. It's no wonder that what Whitfield said is very right. Sometimes it's the last idol taken out of our heart. Self-righteousness. Goodness is our biggest self-deception. Now, I, I want to be very clear if you feel beat up a little bit so far, okay, just being honest. I feel this way. But I want you to know something. That's not the goal of this series, is to make you feel beat up, necessarily. But to tell the truth. And in telling the truth, I don't, we don't want you to go away thinking, oh, well, thanks, guys. Now I feel really rotten. I know I'm self-righteous. Thank you very much. Now it's come to my attention. We want more than that. We want, by the end of this series, for you to be able to say like what Brant wrote here in his book, Truth About Us, which I don't get a dime for, but it's on Amazon. Okay, I won't talk about it anymore. But 
the goal of this series, I mean, I'm sorry, here's the, here's not the, that's not the goal. No, the goal is to lighten your load and to help you see just how good God is. That's our goal this series, for you to see just how good God is and how much more relaxing life can be when you just come to terms with who you really are. Because the same Jesus who keeps trying to show us how we're not as good as we think we are is the same one that is promising that his way is lighter and easier. And the first step to this, to really knowing Jesus, is humility. It's true, true humility. Not false humility, but, but true humility. And humility does not come easy. And the reason it doesn't come easily is be, easy is because we are so profoundly biased about ourselves. It's so easy for us to be self-righteous. How does... How do we battle it, you know? How do we actually practice humility? How do we get to be actually truly humble before Jesus? Because truth be told, without it, we are lost. Because the only way to God is like what Jesus said, I did not, I did not come to call the righteous, but to call the sick. Because they are the ones who need a doctor. And the truth be told, you and I, are desperately sick. It's just whether or not we'll admit it. So when it comes to humility, let me, there's one, uh, there's lots of ways to battle it, I guess, when you look at the scripture, when you look at Jesus. There was one story my, uh, my brother uh, told, um, he had told me about before, which was he was on a, he was on a mission trip, he was in a in a, I think it was, I want to say Costa Rica or one of the Central American countries. And he was uh, meeting with a group of people. And there was this, there was this guy that was always around, one of the, one of the people down there who uh, would, uh, would always have popsicles and hand out and carrying popsicles and giving to people or selling whatever. And he said he didn't really know him, you know. Uh, he was just part of the community down there. Didn't really get a chance to talk to him. Didn't know the language. He said, but one night... They had a special get-together of older, older people uh, in their church gathering, and he was, he was sitting next to Popsicle Guy. And they decided that night that they were going to have a foot-washing ceremony. You know, in John 13, where Jesus took, took the towel, and he bent down, and he started washing the feet of all the disciples, and he said, as I'm doing this unto you, you do this to other people. He says, guess whose feet I get to wash? Popsicle guy. That's all I knew him as. Didn't know his name. Didn't know his family. Not sure I even cared, right? But he said, something started to change in me when I started to wash his feet. I started to care. I was praying for him. I wanted to know his history I started praying for his family. I wanted to know his family. I, I wanted to know where he was with Jesus. You see? How do you battle self-righteousness? One step in becoming humble is by purposely practicing servitude. By purposely practicing 
servitude. Now, here's the thing. I, I could get into lots of different practical applications, but the, can I be honest? I don't have time for that. And, and, and honestly, at the core of what I want to get across this morning, if I can just lay my heart out there, is that two things. I was really kind of, I'm proud of my brother for, this, for writing some of this, but I was also extremely mad when I wrote it, when I read it for the first time. And the reason I was so mad is because this is the book I was going to write. It made me so mad because I think he's onto it in the sense of this. This is how I feel. This is my battle. This is the last idol in my heart. Not only that, but I see it so evidently in our culture and so evidently with the people right next to me. Do you ever wonder, do you just wonder for a second how arrogant God thinks we really are? And, and can I be honest? Is he right? Could, could that be right? I love what Brendan Manning said. It is better to be naked in truth than clothed in fantasy. I got a final scripture. So Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes or a woman? In her own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him or her. Can I be honest? This is hard, isn't it? It's hard to hear. It's hard to let it actually soak in that maybe we're not as good as we think we are. But the truth be told, it is our salvation when we finally know who we are. And it's like the blind man who cried out as Jesus walked the road, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, son of David. Have mercy on me. Jesus is the great equalizer because no matter how good you really are, without the cry of have mercy on me, you won't know him. You want to find out how we can get closer to Jesus, what we need to do with this self-righteousness? Come back next week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity we've had just for a short time to be able to to just take a, a, a glimpse into the scripture a little bit, a glimpse into who we are. But Father, most importantly, we just are so thankful for the faithfulness of, of you, for your faithfulness. We are so thankful for the way that you love us anyway. We are so thankful, but Father, we need humility. Uh, we need to rest in who we are. Father, you, 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 didn't, you didn't come to this world telling us that we had to be righteous in and of ourselves. You came to us to help us understand that we can't be. And you died on that cross, rose from the grave, so that we might understand forgiveness and know forgiveness. You were righteous walking on this earth so that we might be righteous. Oh, Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We humbly ask you have mercy on us.
And Father, I pray that that is our, our position of our soul this morning. And Father God, I pray for those who are watching, for those who are here right now, I pray for, for, the, for the, there might be just a swelling of the Holy Spirit within our lives, within our ears, within our hearts, that might lead us to actual truth about us. Let us be naked in the truth instead of being clothed in fantasy is our prayer, oh God. Because, God, we really, really want to know you. We really want to see you on that final day. We want to be with you for eternity. And we don't want to be deceived even by our own hearts. Oh, God, please forgive us. Please teach us to repent. Please teach us what it means to give in to you instead of ourselves. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.